Welcome back to episode two of the Suburban K9 podcast. Once again, I'm Matt Covey, and here we have Mr. Nelson Madrano and also Alexander Chadish. How do you like being called Alexander? I've been doing that. It just seems more formal. Are like you good it. with that? I like it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so today we've got a few things going on. We're going to start with a game called Stump the Trainer. Then we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the come command and doing some questions and answers that we've gotten from clients and people on uh, social media. And then we're going to end with a section we call 60 Second Solutions, which should be a lot of fun. So I think without further ado, Alex, you want to lead us off and get us into Stump Alrighty. the Trainer? We're going to start off with uh, Stump the Trainer. We have... Who are we stumping? I think we need to figure that out. It certainly won't be me. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we attempting to stump? How about that? <laughs> well, Nelson seems confident. Do you want to attempt All right, to we'll stump lead him? Off with uh, Nelson here. The f- I'm leading off with uh, a picture of the dog paws, and then I have five fun facts. I wish I had a buzzer. Yeah. So Nelson is being stumped. This is Guess the Breed, this is guess correct? Guess the Breed. Yep. Guess the Breed. Guess the Breed. Okay. Guess the Great Dane. Well, that was a short round. You got it. Great Dane. Too good. I'm too good. I may have I'm made too this good. too easy. Too All good right. at this. I don't know if I want to follow yeah, that, that, but was... fine. <laughs> I will attempt it. So. <laughs> I told you it won't be me, sir. <laughs> Can I get a picture of the face, or do I have nope, to see we're the only legs? doing pause. <laughs> we're only doing pause. For all of you that are listening and not watching... Nelson, the picture he saw was very obvious and super He'll, easy to guess, the, and mine's much, the, much yeah, harder. Yeah, just for the record. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say, based upon the color, I'm going to say uh, Rhodesian Ridgeback. Uh, that is, Fur looks a little bit long, but... Incorrect. Uh, incorrect. All okay. right. Bull now, Mastiff. to be fair, that uh, Bull Mastiff was a horrible guess. But to be fair, Rhodesian <laughs> Ridgeback was not a horrible guess. The fur looks a little long for a Rhodesian. Not smooth and shiny, but we're also looking at just a little picture. Okay, what next? Now, what's my All next right. clue? Your next clue. World record for heaviest dog. This breed holds the record for being one of the heaviest dog breeds. Go ahead. Do you hit your the do you hit I, your guest to buzz in? Stop me. So yeah. So I'm now gonna, I will. I'm now gonna go <laughs> English Mastiff. It's an English Mastiff. I was gonna guess Bull Mastiff at the start, and then I did not. I should I should just lie. I was gonna guess English Mastiff <laughs> at the start. <laughs> Clearly, the only thing I was going to guess. Nelson, Nelson caught me off guard. I have the cool. full picture. You've seen the full picture now, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So for all of you watching, uh, this might have turned, or I'm sorry, listening, you didn't get to hear uh, too many clues, but uh, the pictures are cute, cute Great Dane, cute Bull Mastiff. So Nelson won, or English Mastiff, Nelson won super quickly. I won, I guess, kind of quickly, but we didn't get too many questions. So what would your first clue have been for the Great Dane, just for the record? Uh, the Great Dane, the first clue was uh, famous owners in history. Uh, notable historical figures were King Frederick of Prussia, King George the Fourth of England, <laughs> and Russian Empress Catherine the Great. Oh, I would have said Giant Schnauzer, 100%, if I, if I had been given those clues. 
I would have asked for more clues. The, the clues <laughs> if the those clues were the clues, easier, I would have asked for like more. Like the last clue, the last clue I had for the Great Dane was famous cultural icons. Uh, perhaps the most famous is Scooby Doo. I was pretty sure everybody was going to nail the Great Dane at that point. Well, we okay. got one more. Do we want to see if Nelson can uh, hit it again on the first try, or do you want to, or do you want to go ahead? Yeah, to and Ooh. well, I like that, but I also want Nelson to look bad for okay. a moment. So, how hard is this one? <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be a Sheba. <laughs> There's our pause. Oh, oh my goodness! Cute pause. I know what I'm gonna. I'm gonna say Australian Shepherd. It's fluffy. I see two colors there. Do see two colors there. It is the Australian Shepherd. <laughs> Dang. So, I think we know for the record now that paw pictures Might may be, be too easy. easy. I would not I have didn't... thought I would not have thought paw pictures would be that easy, but apparently they yeah. are. Yeah. I th- I thought I was well, I mean I, I guess he didn't get well, it with the English. Give us the clue. Oh, so uh our first clue. This this first clue was a little easy. Variety in eye colors. One of the most distinctive features oh, yeah. are the eyes. They can have blue, brown, hazel, amber, or even two different colored eyes. I could see husky. Husky being is a, a guess. Yeah. People would guess until yeah. you said two different color. You know when Not I heard with those the blue. Paws, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, I meant just from the clue itself. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So where okay. are you guys with the two different colored eyes? What do you mean? They exist. I'm... I believe in it. I've seen it. <laughs> oh, I, I believe it, and I've seen it, but uh, it creeps me out, man. It, I don't know if I could do it. It creeps me out a little bit. I like the blue <laughs> eyes. I'm working with a Border Collie right now that's beautiful. It has two, like, super blue eyes, and it really, really neat. Yeah, I could do both blue eyes or both brown eyes, but when, when it's one and one, it creeps me out a little bit. I've seen some it. a lot of Catahoulas. Uh, you know, I mean, they're Catahoula yeah. mixes. They're obviously not from a breeder. I say obviously, but we don't really ever get Catahoulas from a breeder. <laughs> They're shipped from, they were wild dogs in Arkansas or something. And I see, like, their eyes sometimes are, like, multiple colors, even in one eye. It's, like, it's crazy. Yeah. It's kind of neat. Have you, ever met, have you ever met somebody with it? Oh, that's, a that's a little distracting when you're trying to have no. a conversation and look them in the eye. And... No, and, and thankfully not, because I would be probably staring i'd be one of the rude people like oh my goodness i i did meet uh one guy where his pupil it it looked like it leaked out into the rest of his eye whoa and uh so that was that was cool that's different yeah i'm not sure what to say to that one uh i hope he's okay that sounds scary all right well should we get into it i hope uh Hope the game was at least a little fun for those of you not watching the video. I know it's weird you can't see the picture, and we didn't think it'd be so... uh, I didn't think it'd be so quick. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, but it was, so I guess let's move on. So we're going to the come command? Yeah. I I think the goal here today is just to give people a big picture overview of the come command. And I I think everyone listening is their dog's going to be at a different point, you know, in this journey, and there's going to be something for everybody. And... Very often when people have an issue with the come command, they need to take a few steps back. So if, if we're if, if you hear us talking and you're like, oh, I think I've already done that part, hear us out because very often we get to a client and they're like, I've already done I've already taught the dog come and then we see what's been done and I see the dog has sometimes learned something different than what the owner thinks. So it's very important to start at the beginning. So I think you need to hear all of this. 
and then we're going to get more advanced as we talk today. So we're going to start at the beginning, and then we'll get into some more advanced things as we go on. But one of the things that I would say for sure is also know that it's going to be completely normal that I run through all of the basics with the dog anyways. And and, and I'll obviously a trainer will be talking to you the whole time, but very often I tell people, you know, Hey, I just want to make sure that he actually knows the word in a way that I know the word so that we can actually work together. And that, that tends to throw some people off because just, just like you said, you know, they'll be like, Hey, I've already taught him. He just won't do it. And, just like you said, oftentimes we'll, we'll find that they actually don't know that or they'll come and check in really quickly and run off or, you know, that kind of stuff. They've learned a completely different thing. So, but uh, yeah, I well, mean, can I, can I piggyback on that for a second? Yeah, just before it. we even get into more details, I agree a hundred percent. And so what I'll do with a client sometimes is I'll just run like a little test. I'll say, call the dog. So they do whatever they do. They say, you know, George come and the dog comes over And I say, okay, now say, George, go away in the same voice. And they do. Then the dog comes over, right? And then I say, okay, now tell him, George, stay. And they say, George, stay. And the dog still runs over to them. And what I point out is your dog has learned, I mean, a lot of things, right? Some of your body language they've learned, but also they like to get petted by you. So a lot of times we have a dog who wants to get petted, right? So you say, George, potato, and he like wags his tail and runs over. And then, of course, he doesn't listen in the backyard when there's a squirrel out there because he doesn't want petted. He never really learned the command. So it's important that we take that time and actually teach. And like Nelson said, we figure out what your dog knows right now because there's a good chance they don't actually know come. They've just learned to come in certain scenarios, but they have a different understanding than you do. Anytime that we start this command, and I don't care how old the dog is. Generally, it is with puppies, but you know, could be any, any age dog. I'm always starting on a leash, and that seems to blow some people's minds. And I guess to be fair, normally when you use it in an everyday instance, you're not going to have a leash on. That's the goal, of mm-hmm. course. But to start off, you can inadvertently teach your dog to do a ton of things if you don't have a good way of guiding them. And, and not even just to avoid certain certain things that they'd be doing like running off or just not coming to you or, or kind of anything like that, but also to make sure that we can get them to do everything that we need them to do, not only to get up and, and walk over here, but also get close enough that I can pet you, make sure that you're sitting down, you know, that kind of stuff all gets much easier with a leash just because you can help the the dog out, you know, quite a bit before ever expecting any, uh, any real proficiency. Yeah, 100% agreed. I, I always explain to a client at that at that phase, the dog can't mess up, only you can mess up. And so what I'll do when we have them on leash, you know, and I'm calling the dog and backing up and praising, you know, I explain to the client, it's my motion, my praise, my words, all of that is what's getting the dog to come to me. And the leash is a helpful tool right there. If you don't have the leash on and you say to come and they don't do it, what do you do? You just hope they do it or beg them to do it. You know, you don't have a good option, but there's a lot of skill that goes into the leash work. Right. And we can't show that in this video. We've got, you know, obviously videos online, you know, on our channel talking about and showing this, but there's a lot of skill that goes in, you know, when you're backing up, when you're praising the dog, the teaching phase, it's not, it's not hard. If you know, if you've seen how to do it, 
but a lot of it's not common sense. Like you wouldn't know it without seeing someone do it. You know, you have to watch it a couple times, right? And figure out like, okay, that motion helps. You don't just stand still. You back up. You use energy, and that makes a world of difference. Yeah, and that's the important part, right? Is to pay attention to the input that we're giving to the dog. It's it's not about standing still and having the dog come to you at first. It certainly gets there, but uh, that motion that he's talking about is walking backwards with the dog to get them to start moving towards you and then coming to, you know, a a stop or a sit, you know, whatever it is. Uh, But the other part with that is also making sure that we're not reeling the dog in because we, we don't necessarily want to create tension with the command either. And that's one of the things that you could have a leash and still mess it up simply by not giving that motion you know the dog is fighting against you you're reeling it in like a fish and no no good typically comes from that so really really pay attention to how it is that we move with the leash not just simply the fact that we have the leash on for sure that's a great point and you know to kind of piggyback that off off of that a little bit so the leash matters and how you use it and then your praise matters and what you're saying you have to have energy and we're not going to be maniacs when we call but I I like to tell people, I use the phrase, praise the dog all the way in, meaning I am praising them until my energy does not stop for a second. So when I call the dog, it's, Ralph, come, there you go, buddy, look at you, who's my good little boy, there you go, sit, and it's just talking the whole time. I phase that out through time, but at the beginning, that helps keep their focus on you. And, you know, to that point, we've got videos, we have some videos where we use treats for come, we have some where we don't, and it, it's funny the comments you'll get on them. Like, if you do a video without treats, people are like, why don't you use treats? That's crazy. And then you do a video with treats, and people are like, why do you use treats? That's crazy. You know, dog <laughs> training's a polarizing world, right? And what I explain to people is at the start, you should use what motivates your dog. If a dog is motivated by praise, I prefer that a thousand times over using treats. So, If your dog is motivated by praise and they pay attention, they're excited to work for your love, that's great. Sometimes that's not the case. If you're working with an eight-week-old dog, they're probably not super praise motivated yet because they haven't learned that. So we might, you know, I'm more likely to use treats with a young puppy. If I have a fearful dog who just doesn't like praise, then, you know, we're going to use a lot more treats to get their attention on us. And no matter what you're using, you're going to phase it out through time. So the argument that, you know, treats are bad or, you know, praises, you shouldn't use too much praise or whatever. You're phasing it out through time to a manageable level. We obviously like the idea of praise. You always have praise with you. You don't always have treats, but either way, if you treat train, if you're any good at training, you're going to phase them out very quickly, kind of as soon as you can. So you could do either. Isn't that a weird concept? Um, You know, you don't use treats because they won't be as valuable when you need them. And then don't use praise because you're going to make it so that the dog doesn't care about praise anymore because they get it all the time. You know, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I agree. And we phase it out. But if this isn't one of those times that I needed it, (laughs) then what is, you know, if, if teaching isn't the time where I would need treats or praise, then what does it matter if I dilute it or, or not simply because what other situation would I actually be using it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for the record, I get questions from people about how often do you use treats? And so what I explain is for sit, I basically never use treats. For down, I uh, basically 99.9% of the time I don't use treats. Never use treats for stay. 
I use them, I'll use them for loose leash walking with a puppy if the puppy's not motivated to walk. If you come to me with a six-month-old lab that's pulling hard and choking himself the whole time, I'm not going to use treats in that scenario. And with the come command, it just depends on the dog. I would say, I mean, with my older dogs, I use treats like 5% of the time at, at most. And those are more behavioral cases of some sort, fear, anxiety. With the average six-month-old lab, I'll never use treats for come. And with an eight-week-old puppy, I'm probably using treats, I don't know if I had to make up a number... 60, 70% of the time, because most of those are not really praise motivated yet. But it doesn't really matter as long as you have a good plan and you're facing it out through time. Yeah, it's also just understanding when you need that extra influence, right? So with a six-month-old lab, yeah, am I going to be using treats? Probably not. But if I take them to uh, an off-leash park, probably not a dog park, but like an off-leash park, Maybe that's where I need extra influence, and all of a sudden treats would have made more sense there, right? And and that's not because the dog doesn't know it without the treats. It's just because the distraction is so much higher that I need something to be able to bridge that gap with. So not always mm-hmm. do you use it or don't you. It's way more of what's the situation because maybe I do. Yeah, that's a definitely a fair point. You know, and without getting... I, I don't want this conversation to get too kind of highbrow or scientific where it's not, you know, it's no longer fun to listen to. And a lot of trainers, I think with good intentions, but they they make things more confusing than they need to be sometimes for clients. And then it becomes stressful for the client. And, you know, treats, those are positive reinforcement, right? It's something you, and positive does not mean good for the record. If you need, you know, we have videos on operant conditioning if you want to listen to them or watch them. But positive means adding something to the equation. Reinforcement means it's meant to reinforce the behavior. So, you know, a treat is positive reinforcement, but so is petting the dog. So is saying Mm -hmm. good boy. So, I mean, anything that the, so is a squeak toy if they, I mean, assuming the dog likes these things, right? So people will sometimes say, well, shouldn't you use positive reinforcement? And, you know, if you're not using treats, they'll say, why don't you use positive reinforcement? Like, well, I'm telling the dog good boy and I'm clapping my hands. He's wagging his tail. He likes that. That's positive reinforcement. So you need to understand that anything the dog likes that you're doing to reinforce, to make him more likely to do something is positive reinforcement. Use the right reinforcement for your dog that they enjoy. That's at the right level. I see some people using uh, toys when they train and it's not horrible, but I've seen a lot of issues with that where it creates a lot of drive in the dog. And if you have a working dog, that's awesome. You probably want more drive, but if your dog is super intense the whole time you train you might be creating something you don't really like in the future. A dog who's very intense, you know, when they're working with you. And if you want that, that's cool. But if you're trying to make your training a calming technique, you're going to want to dial back the praise through time and have them come over to you, sit, lay down, and chill out. Not come over to you, lay down, and stare at you with laser focus. Like, where is that (laughs) rope? Where is that tug or whatever you used? Yep. All right. Well, Nelson, why don't we t- talk through a couple steps that we go through? Because a lot of you mentioned putting the leash on, right? And mm-hmm. that surprises a lot of clients. And then, you know, the next question some people ask is like, all right, can we go do this in the yard? And sort of, <laughs> we're not just going <laughs> to let them loose outside. So do you want to just quickly highlight a couple of the other steps we take? Yeah. So uh, one of the first things that I will do is put a leash on, but I will be somewhere that's generally calm. You know, if this is the first time that the dogs are actually learning the command or, you know, if they're kind of 
know it, kind of don't know it. That's not a time for me to start bringing in distractions. Not to mention that even the home could be distracting, right? If you have a bunch of kids around, I might go somewhere that the kids aren't aren't at and then, you know, bring them back. But uh, a lot of the times it's just better to actually teach them in a calm environment, get them proficient, and then start moving to harder places. And the backyard might be too hard. You know, again, if I have a 16-week-old puppy, you know, I'm probably doing a lot in the house before I get to the backyard just because there's less for me to control in the backyard. You know, in the house, I can control who I'm by, where we are. I can control the temperature <laughs> of the house. Outside, I can't control what dogs walk past, what people walk past, if there's birds, if there's, you know, anything for the dog to get distracted by. And that's going to be beneficial later on. But for right now, when I'm teaching, it's not. So I, I tend to get a lot of work done in the house, start bringing in some distraction while I'm still in the house, and then make my way to the backyard. Once I can crush the backyard because, you know, we've worked back there so long that, hey, everything seems normal. That's when I'll start going to the front yard, to parks, to, you know, out in public, that kind of stuff. So you're just, you're increasing the difficulty of the location to proof how well that dog will be able to listen when things get crazy. You know, when the squirrel runs six feet past it, there's a, a lot of stuff that you can do to kind of practice that before it actually happens. For sure. And the way I sum that up for clients is and you use the word proof just now, which I think we might want to dive into a little, but teach when it's calm, proof when it's exciting. Simple as that. And we can expand on that for an hour, right? We could, but you teach when it's as calm as possible. You mentioned inside Nelson where you can control everything. And then we proof when it's exciting, when there's a lot of distractions. And you know, for all of you listening, proofing is just a fancy way of saying getting your dog to listen to a command in every possible scenario. So you could define it many other ways, but it's basically just getting your dog to listen in real life. No matter what's happening, they still need to listen to their command. But we don't go from we five minutes of teaching to then proofing. That's not fair to the animal. Yeah, for sure. So, mm -hmm. so a couple steps you know that we take with each dog. One is dropping the leash. So Nelson mentioned earlier, you have the leash in your hand and you're calling the dog. And... You know, the dog learns that, but what can happen is if you have him in a sit stay and you've called him a hundred times and you back up and you praise him, everything's great. You might be putting a little soft pressure on their neck when you back up and like you, with the leash, a tiny amount of pressure and they might feel that and that might, might help them get up. So then you call, you drop the leash and you call them and they're like, what? And they just stare at you because maybe they've gotten used to that tiny little pressure and we have to get past that. Or some dogs, you know, we don't know what, you don't know what every dog is learning, right? Like if you're training your dog at home and I'm not there, he might be learning that leash pointing to you as part of the command. Dogs pay attention to hand signals. So if you have the leash in your hand like this and you say, Ralph, come, and I know if you're listening, you can't see it, but you're like kind of, you know, using the leash and guiding your hand to you. And then you drop the leash and you act different. Your dog might be confused and they might not understand what you're asking of them. So a few steps we'll take is one, we'll call the dog and then drop the leash as they're coming and praise and, you know, back up, have them sit when they get to us. And then I will call the dog and drop the leash instantly. And then I'll start calling them with the leash not in the hand. And then if, sometimes that takes 10 seconds. Sometimes it takes 10 minutes. It doesn't really matter. So this doesn't have to be a long process, but I want to flag that for you listening because it, for some dogs, that is a hard transition and you want to be aware of it. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes we see puppies that will get to the end of the leash and then stop moving because <laughs> they're not mm. used to the fact that they have to pull the leash to get back to you. The other thing, and I, I'm going to drop a bomb here. Oh! I never start off in a sit-stay to teach come, ever. Never going to happen. And one never, of the big ever. reasons is because I always inadvertently screw up my stay by getting the dogs to anticipate the fact that they're going to run to me. So then they, you know, as I work on my stay, I walk around, I turn around to face them, and they zoom right over to me, which obviously breaks the stay. Uh, I will always just have the leash in my hand, have the dog walking around, and then call them and back up from there and try and get to something more real life, which is just them roaming around looking for trouble. So for you, everyone listening, this brings up a good point that there's many ways to train a dog. Some are right, some are wrong, but there's many <laughs> and wrong Nelson's ways. And wrong. There's... <laughs> right. <laughs> That's not what I was going to say. I'm going to say that later probably at some point. No, but there's many wrong ways and there's many right ways. So I start from a sit-stay. I prefer that. And to your point, Nelson, uh, if you call them 100 times in a row, the stay goes downhill really quickly. So I'll call them and then sometimes I'll go back to their side and then I'll walk off and call them. And then I will teach from that because I like the way that it keeps them a little more focused. And then I'll move to unstructured from there. Just And I think what you were describing to me is what I would call unstructured, yeah. where mm -hmm. the dog is on a leash probably, but they're wandering around and not wandering around 30 feet away in a long line in the yard, you know, looking at a squirrel. But you're like in the living room, they're wandering around. And when it seems easy, because at this stage we're looking for success, when right. it seems easy, you say, Ralph, come. Yes, good boy. There you go. And you praise them, have them sit. So I'll usually teach from the sit-stay and then move to unstructured next. But potato, potato, you know, you could do either way. It, but you brought up a good point. You can really destroy your stay command quickly if you all of a sudden call them a hundred times and never truly work on stay and going back to their side. Yeah, for sure. And for us, when we only have two weeks to, to really get these dogs awesome, that's uh, mm -hmm. time wasted. So... What I would say is, as we're kind of going through these steps, we start on leash, then we start dropping the leash, uh, and then we start doing the unstructured in the house. All of this happens before we're doing much work in the yard. And to back up a little bit, when people say, let's go in the yard and train, or my dog doesn't listen in the yard, if your dog isn't good unstructured in the house, you know they're going to be bad in the yard. So why are we going to work on something incredibly hard if even something only a little bit hard is still not doable yet. So I'm going to train a lot in the house first with the leash dropped, calling them, calling them, calling them, making sure I, they're really, really good in the home before we go in the yard. What do you say to people that just want to train where the problem is, which is typically the yard, right? The dog won't come in. And you're in a house call, you're working inside the house, and they're like, oh, look, he did his first time. He did it. Perfect. Great. Let's move to the backyard. And then like, well, hold on. Like there's the rest of the house. There's things that we can introduce here. And like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll do that. But then let's get to the backyard because uh, that, that happens very often, right? Where people are just so fixated on what their problem is that uh, they don't, they don't take some of the steps that could help them fix that. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing I'll explain to them is it's not fair to your dog to put them in too hard of a scenario at the start. So regardless of your goals, it's not fair to the animal to put them in a really hard situation. So we, we need to recognize that. 
but if the dog is good in the house, then let, let's go outside. Sure. So what I'll tell the client is like, if the dog is good right now and we can call him in all these scenarios, it's going to take me two minutes to check that. And if he's good, well, then let's go outside. So let's see. I want to see, can you open up the back door of the, to the garage where he likes to go through and he's walking to that back door and you go to the kitchen and call him to you? Can you not ring the doorbell and call the dog away from it? Can you toss a you know, a tennis ball in the house and call them away from it. If we can't do that stuff, he's not well-trained in the house yet. So why would we make it harder? But if we do a two-minute test and the dog rocks all of that, yeah, then we're ready. Let's get in the yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all of those things are actually really, really good um, good practices or, or good scenarios that you guys can use inside the house, especially when the weather's crappy or anything like that. Matt, you had that video come out of what you like to do with your dog when the weather is really bad. And that's a perfect scenario to work on. Can someone ring the doorbell and I call my dog back or can they be unstructured off leash in the house and I call them back? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you can do to burn your dog out, you know, especially puppies, right? You know, you can get them really, really tired just working on this stuff inside the house and not have to endure the weather. Agreed for sure. There's a lot that can be done in the house. So now one thing we haven't talked about yet is corrections. And what do you do if your dog doesn't listen? So I think we need to spend a few minutes on that. And once again, without getting super operant conditioning on you, we have to think about it a little bit. So there needs to be some sort of consequence. And people always think of consequences as negative reinforcement. Usually it's actually positive punishment. And what that means is we're adding something in to stop a behavior. Uh, And the idea is that something that's being added in is not a great thing. Otherwise, it would be reinforcing the behavior, right? Positive punishment can run the gambit. It could be anything. Positive punishment is the the no command is positive punishment. A tug on the leash is positive punishment. All the way up to very mean things could be positive punishment. Someone hitting their dog is, of course, could be positive punishment. But sometimes people think of punishment as necessarily bad, but it's anything a dog doesn't like, you know, and you're trying to stop a behavior. So it doesn't have to be intense or mean. You, I'm a huge believer. There has to be some consequence for not listening. Otherwise, you end up with a dog that comes when called for something fun, and they decide they don't want something fun right now, so they don't come when called, right? Your, your treat or your praise for the vast majority of dogs is never going to be enough to overpower every distraction in the world. How could it? How could they always value your praise or your treat more than anything else that could happen in the world? Could be something that scared them, could be something that they're excited by, could be another dog, a squirrel, who knows. But 1% of dogs, maybe, are going to be able to be truly off-leash trained in every scenario without having some sort of correction or discipline. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also, you know, dogs that are naturally good at staying by you could still get scared by something, could still do, you know, like, so you still have to work against maybe not excitement distractions, like they wouldn't run for a squirrel or kids or anything like that, but they might get scared of a garbage can and, and, you know, run off or something like that. So those corrections in those moments are also getting them to prioritize staying or coming to you as opposed to giving into whatever fear response or whatever it could have been in those situations. So it's not just for, hey, a squirrel ran by and I need to kind of fix that. But 
even if it is, is the squirrel cooler than what you're giving me? Because without a distraction, I'm going to pick the cooler thing every single time, which is the general concept, right? I'm just going to go for the more exciting thing. For sure. And there, there has to be a consequence in life. And, you know, humans have consequences, right? That's what, that's what makes a lot of people follow the rules is a consequence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in some of our videos, we talk about like the idea of speeding tickets. If there's no penalty for speeding, how many people do you think are going to speed a lot? Like mm-hmm. yeah, a absolutely. huge number, right? And some wouldn't, that's fine. But many would because there's, if there's no more consequence, this, you need a consequence for come. And what kills me is when you have these, you know, sometimes you'll see people that are like, oh, any consequence is bad. And you correct your dog, you're mean, you're cruel. And you ask them, like, can, your do- can this dog be off leash in public? And it, they say a lot of words to avoid saying no, <laughs> right? They're like, well, but all that's mean, that's bad, right? Right. But can that dog be off leash in public? And I'm just going to tell you, if your dog cannot be off leash and actually get to run, you are not doing them a favor and they are not living their best life. And I, I think that's so unfair to an animal to not give them the chance. Now, if you live on 100 acres and your dog can roam, that's cool, but most people don't. If your dog does not get a chance to be off leash somewhere at a park and run, you are severely limiting their life. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the stuff that they'll tell you too is, well, it's a dog. You could never trust a dog 100%. You could never. <laughs> but, you know, like if you put them in those scenarios and you build trust, you know, nothing's 100%, sure, but 98 right and that's that seems like a good bet mm-hmm. so I, the, a lot of words to say no is exactly correct for sure so i guess let's talk a little bit more about corrections and how we you know how we enforce it so i i don't want to spend forever on the correction because we've got videos on this mm-hmm. but you know what we'll do is we mark the bad behavior with a no instantly and generally speaking when a dog does something you like or don't like you have roughly a second to mark it and if, if it's 10 seconds, it's way too long. But you've got roughly a second to mark it. So you call your dog and they choose not to listen. And this is assuming you've already taught them come. We mark it with a no instantly. So we say, Ralph, come. Ralph doesn't come. We mark it with a no immediately. And then we go get Ralph and we give some sort of correction. What I'll generally do is I'll grab the leash or the, cl- the collar, whatever's on, and I'll back up and I'll give them three comes. And with them, I'll tell them come, come, and sit when they get to me. And it's just reinforcing what I want. The idea is they learn that they can never get away with not coming to you. They need to do it every single time. And there has to be some sort of you know, consequence or correction. And to be clear, if you said, hey, my correction's a little bit different than yours, it's probably fine, right? If it's still getting them to come to you and you're consistent with it, but they have to find out they cannot get away with not listening to you. Yeah, and the the big thing there that I always try to make a big emphasis on is that the marker, the no, is time sensitive, but the tugs aren't. So if they decide not to come to you, it's immediately that I'm saying no, and if it takes me 30 seconds to a minute to get the dog, you know, no big deal because I've already marked the behavior. So instead of saying no while you give your tugs or, or anything like that, that's something that we see very often is that they finally get to the dog and then say no. So much more important to mark the behavior while it's happening as opposed to once you've caught them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, I've had some questions online from, I think, keyboard dog trainers that'll say, 
you know, hey, if you correct and you correct and you say come as you tug, well, they're going to think come is bad and they're never going to come again. And that's just not true. That's not how it works. Like, first of all, I can tell you from experience training thousands and thousands of dogs, that's not how it works. But also dogs are not, they're not stupid. So when you give a tug for come, they don't think like, oh, come is a bad word. Come means tug. That just, that's not how it works. What you're doing if you give those corrections is you're just making the dog do it. You're showing them they have to listen. And those tugs are just breaking their focus. They didn't listen for a reason. Don't know what it is without seeing your dog, but maybe he was distracted. Maybe he's defiant. More likely he's just distracted. And when you give those tugs, you're breaking the focus and you're not dragging him to you. You're giving those tugs and making him finish the command. So hard to describe verbally, but you can see our videos and see the tugs are making him finish the command. You're making him walk. You're making him perform the action, walk to Mm -hmm. me and sit in front of me. Yeah. And that's a a big one. Not dragging, right. Is actually getting him to finish the command. That's a super important one. But the other thing too, is when you sit down and think of it, it's a kind of a nonsensical thing to say is they're only going to know the correction because if that was the case, nobody would drive ever. You know, if if everybody just realized that, hey, the potential of getting a, a speeding ticket, the potential of getting into a car accident, the potential of, you know, something bad happening is there and that's the only thing that I care about, why would anybody drive, right? The fact of the matter is, is that 99% of the time you get in your car, you get to where you're going safely and nothing bad ever happens. And that outweighs the few risks. And the same thing with the with come is if I spent a lot of time with that dog, not making it too hard, so I get a lot of time to praise and to make, you know, come a really, really good, fun experience, the few times that I have to correct, don't spoil the whole batch, right? You know, they're still having a good time. They're still off-leash. We're still playing. We keep working on this stuff. It's not that the that the correction was the last thing they've ever experienced. And now that's traumatic or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they learn that when they come, they get a lot of praise. And when they don't, it's not fun. It's not horrible, but they also don't get away, which is a very, very, very important part of this. When I train a dog, they get away from me 0% of the time. And when you hear that, some of you thinking, you know, like listening might say, well, that's impossible. And it's not. It's not because I'm magic. It's because I don't give them the ability to get away from me. So I'm going to use a tool and probably mm-hmm. a long line. There's, and if it's in the house and they're running from me, well, I've got all the time in the world and I'm going to catch them. And it, it might be hard, but I'm going to do it. Same with a yard, but I prefer a long line. I don't put myself in scenarios where a dog can run away from me. So when I'm doing a board and train and it's at, if the dog's at my own house and I'm working in the yard with them, they are not free. They're, I mean, they're on a long line until mm-hmm. I trust them because I'm not going to give them the ability to get away from me. So I think that's a key thing people need to think about. A long line is o- almost crucial with any decent sized yard. And I say almost because you could do it without a long line, but why? It just You're making your job harder for no good reason. So it's very rare that I don't use one with a client. Well, you're, you're making your job harder, but you're also making the uh, training harder than it has to be. So what I mean by that is if they run off, the consequences, of course, are harder than if they just got distracted, you know, and harder, whatever that means to the dog. <laughs> Maybe you squirt them twice with a squirt bottle instead of just once, right? You know, it's whatever the correction is. 
But because it was a more severe action, because I didn't have a long line on, the correction has to match that. Where if I had a long line on, they started slinking away, and I stepped on the long line, and they were like, oh, man, okay, fine. And they stopped for me to go over there. You know, the corrections get to be much softer. And that keeps the training going. That keeps the dog Mm -hmm. still willing to work with me. And it was just the smart idea of using a long line instead of trusting my dog before it was ready. So you just brought up a really important point that the punishment should fit the crime. And with dogs, I mean, think about the difference. If you're in the yard and you call your dog and he walks off and you say no and you go get him, that's not that big of a deal. If he runs from you and he is running, that outside of a fenced-in yard is life or death right? Mm -hmm. That's how dogs get hit by cars. That's how dogs get lost and never found again. That's how dogs get loose and get attacked by, you know, know, another dog somewhere. It truly is life or death. And if your dog learns to run from you and they learn they can get away with it, that's a huge problem. And I like to limit the times they ever try that, right? As opposed to like Nelson was describing, they're running around the yard like a maniac. And if you can't catch them, and when you finally do, you need a pretty stern correction for them to realize that is really bad. That is life or death. And I don't that want my dog to die. That do it. <laughs> Say that again? That sucked. I shouldn't do it. Yes, absolutely. And mm-hmm. it's a big problem, right? And I explain to my clients, if a dog breaks a downstay and I say, hey, no, you know, and we, we stop them right away and they stop, not a very big deal. Dogs are going to make mistakes. If they break a downstay and you turn around and you mark it with a no and they bolt from you, that's life or death. And we need to treat those as very different scenarios. Yeah, and I think... A lot of this can be summed up with you trying to be, I don't know, too nice isn't the word, but I really don't have a better way of describing it. You trying to be too nice and letting your dog have freedom too soon leads to harsher corrections or a harsher life, in which case you never trust them because the few times that you did, it went horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And I see that in clients all the time. They don't. They don't want to do a lot of the structure stuff because they don't want a, a military dog or they don't, you know, whatever it is. There's a ton of excuses, of course. Or I don't want to, you know, it, it takes so much time to get the long line out, you know, all this stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is if you have all of this structure in place, your training will go by much further and much faster because you're not allowing the dog to do a, a ton of really stupid stuff. For sure. And what you said about a you know military dog... When I work with a new client and they're like, I don't want my dog to be like a military dog or like a little soldier. I say, I don't either. That's not the goal here. And I always use the phrase training is not about taking away freedom. Training is the dog earning the ability to have ultimate freedom. Mm -hmm. And when I take my dogs to the park, we get out of the car, they heal, uh, you know, on leash until I see what other dogs or people are around. And when I make sure we're in a safe space, I let them go. And they run and run and run and and truly enjoy their life. To me, that's what training's about, is to get to the point where your dog can have freedom. It's not so they can be a military dog or a robo dog or in a command all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a kind of a misconception with people that they think of training as, and I think part of it might be those trainers that use place cots for like eight hours a day. And you see them at the park with dogs in a, you know, in a place command and that like in the dog is in the place command for hours at the park while the you know people are doing something else i think that gives people the wrong understanding of that's not what i want for my dog i don't want him to go to the park and lay on a cot for eight hours i want to go to the park and let him you know have fun and be a dog 
I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> what don't you agree with? So, I mean, having a dog on place for eight hours is it sucks. You know, I, I certainly agree with you there, but that's assuming that people are making the choice based on that image, right? I, I think what <laughs> actually happens is it's a self fulfilling prophecy of I don't want my dogs to be a military dog, and then they don't train their dog, and then their dog can never do anything other than be in its backyard and not listen to them because they didn't put the training in. You know, I, I think a lot of it is just simply the fact that owners um, and some owners, not all owners, but, you know, like owners got lazy or just didn't want to do the hard work, never got to do the awesome stuff, and then never found the reward of doing the hard work because they never got to enjoy the awesome reward. And I think if you see a lot of that, so because how many times have you guys been walking down and, and not even doing anything crazy, just healing? And like, oh, do you want to trade dogs? I would love to, if my <laughs> dog could do that. And it's like, well, just, just teach him. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you could have this dog. You could have this dog today. Call me. Healing is not, not yeah. that hard. And so, yeah. you know, a lot of that stuff, I think what really, really happens is that they – somehow all picture the exact same thing of what a military dog is decide that structure leads to military dogs and then not punishes the dog but never lets the dog live a full life like you're talking about because they never had the structure in place to allow that to happen so i agree with all those statements for sure what i'm picturing is and i'm not going to name names of companies but there's a company you know in my area that they do their training at the park with place cots and you'll see their clients that they'll be at the park doing something and they bring their cot with and the dog lays in the cot while the person's doing something at the park and to me that's just kind of odd now it's nice that a dog could do it if you needed them to but when i go to the park with my dogs they're running around playing right and i get comments from people a lot like you said nelson and they're like, I don't understand how you get a dog to do that, right? And they just stay. They don't run away from you. They're just staying close to you. And I, I, that's what I want people to see. I don't want people to see a dog locked in a downstay for three hours. And they're like, okay, that dog's really good. Well, that dog's really good, but it sure looks like a crappy thing to do at the park. I, like, can you imagine taking your kids to the park and you're like, hey, see that jungle gym? See how cool that is? Now sit here on this bench for two hours and you're like, <laughs> look how good my kid is, guys. I've got him to just stay here for hours. Like your kid needs to listen. Your dog needs to listen. But to me, the whole point of listening is that I can give you freedom. And now when I see a stranger coming, I'm not a jerk. I'm not going to let my dog run up to him. I call my dogs to me, you know, come over here, sit, stay while the stranger passes. And then I let him be free again. So I, th- I think my point is I want people to see that. I want them to understand the beauty of training is your dog can look like and not can basically not be in training, right? They can just do cool stuff and have fun because you can trust them. Yeah, a well-trained dog is one I don't have to tell what to do. It's a, exactly. It's summing up what I just said for sure. I, I like that that statement, mm-hmm. and that's what I want people to see: is people at the park having fun with their dog rather than their dog is in you know a state the whole time. All right. So I heard a rumor, Nelson, that you. I don't want to say that you're a monster, but maybe you are. I heard a rumor that you have used an e-collar before. So for the record, pretend you're in front of Congress right now. Have you or have you not used an e-collar? Which makes you a monster if you say yes, I believe. Uh, I have, indeed. (laughs) So 
let's talk e-collars for a minute. Tell us, uh, and if, for those of you who don't know, I was being uh, tongue-in-cheek there. I don't, well, Nelson might be a monster, but not because he used an e-collar. Uh, e-collars are a controversial tool, but Nelson, give us your opinion on them. Yeah, I will never own a dog that is not e-collar trained. Uh, doesn't mean they're on e-collars forever. You know, my boy Griff, I could literally take him anywhere, and he has no collar on most of the time. Um, but that's not to say that I didn't use an e-collar when he was younger, just to proof a lot of stuff. Uh, e-collars are awesome. You know, what I see them as is an opportunity to proof and practice really, really cool stuff that would otherwise be very difficult for the normal person to do. And and for me to do when, you know, I'm, I'm busy. So I don't always have all the time in the world to kind of do things with my own dogs. Um, but it's a way to communicate and correct your dog from afar. It's an invisible leash. And that's awesome. Uh, I remember taking uh, one of my older dogs, Bryn. She, uh, we were in a forest preserve. It was the first time she saw a deer. She chased after it. I was able to correct her, and she came right back, ready to go do it all over again. She wasn't scared. She wasn't horrified. Nothing like that. We'd done a lot of work with it, of course. And we continued our walk and tried to go find more deer. You know, the e-collar doesn't have to be anything you don't teach the dog that it is. So if you teach the dog that it's horrible, it's going to be a horrible thing to the dog. If you teach the dog that this means freedom and running around like a goofball in a park or a forest preserve, those dogs are going to be psyched every time that you pull it out. But uh, I would say a lot of it is just actually learning how to use it talking to someone that knows how to use it and gaining the experience you want, not the experience uh, that will scare the dog or anything like that. But that kind of goes back to a lot of what we were talking about earlier anyways. So I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, right? And we could spend hours just talking about e-collars for sure. And you made a lot of good points. And the, I mean, first off, they work. But for people, when when you have it, and like what Nelson's describing is most people could not call their dog away from a deer. So the dog would either get lost, get hurt, or would never go in public again. So e-collars serve a very valid tool for, or a very valid purpose for that. You know, e-collars, it's impossible to hurt a dog with an e-collar. So I want that to be really clear. They, they're not high-powered things. They can't like injure your dog or shock your dog and cause like damage. Now they can scare a dog for sure. So not to say just put one on and try like they can, you can very, very quickly terrify a dog with an e-collar, but you could also terrify a dog with a chair. You know, you pick up a chair and throw it at your dog. That's going to be scary for him and it might really hurt him. And you do that enough times, your dog's going to be scared of a chair. So have you met the, sorry to cut you off, but have you met (laughs) those dogs that are terrified of the baby gates? Because oh, like sure, it, it fell it once fell? and, yeah. uh-huh. and they ran away, and 100%. now they won't go anywhere near them. Yeah, so yeah, I've so seen that where clients are like, "My friend has an e collar, and their dog's terrified of it." I'm like, well, that's not the e collar's fault. That's the handler's fault. And you know, your dog could be terrified of a leash, of a chair, of a baby gate, of anything. So you need to teach properly. And we've got videos on this. We, you know, there's many ways you can do it, but we acclimate slowly. And mm-hmm. if you're acclimating to the vibration, we use a lot of praise to teach that. I like the, the vibration to be their name, basically. So mm-hmm. I say, Ralph, come as I'm pushing the vibration. Lots of praise. I've got a video where I show how to do that with treats, but you can also use praise. The idea is that's fun. That's exciting. The dog is learning vibration. It's a good thing. It's I'm calling you. 
and then you can introduce the stim, you know, the actual correction after that. There's, you know, a good collar. We really like dog tread. They go from zero to 127. Anything under than 10, most people can't feel at all. Under 10 is like not even noticeable. 127 is extremely unpleasant. And so usually we're starting under 10 and then we find the dog's working level, which is going to be 10, 20, 30, somewhere in that area, nowhere near the top of the range, almost, almost always. And very dog dependent though, for sure. Very dog dependent and also very collar dependent, right? I mean, there's Mm -hmm. different collars for a reason. So you have uh, the arc, which we use all the time, the 280C we use all the time, but that is still their weaker collar. There's the 1900 series that is 30% higher after 30, right? And, and that's after 60, they, I believe. Isn't it? Mm, I'm going to go with after 30. Google yeah, Google it. Because I'd be interested to, to find out if I've been lying. Um, but that's that collar sells for a reason. And a lot of it is because sometimes you have a highly drivey dog that won't care enough about the 127 on the arc that you're going to need, you know, a little bit more, 30% juice, whatever it is. So, and a lot of brands have those, you know, have weaker collars, stronger collars, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So what Nelson's describing, just to be clear, though, is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of dogs that sure. would need. We're talking high drive, let's say, shepherd, that, and not a shepherd that was bred by your neighbor, but a shepherd that you imported from Czechoslovakia that is insanely high drive that costs 10 grand and you think it'll be easy to train. Turns out it's a working dog and it's a lot of a challenge to live with and it's very high drive. That's the kind of dog that might need higher. Your golden doodle or your average dog is not going to be, you know, needing a 1900S or a more high powered collar. I agree with you. 90% of all dogs are going to be perfectly fine on the weaker collars and you'll never get higher than 40. But not just the crazy, you know, Czechoslovakian shepherds, which are super cool, but uh, also hunting dogs. You know, you you might need a 1900 for <laughs> for a coon hound that is on the track of something and doesn't care, mm-hmm. you know, about how how loud you're yelling or anything like that. They might need so. You know, those collars are, are there for a reason, but I agree with you. It's because it's for a dog that has a tremendous amount of drive and is willing to work through some discomfort to get to the prize. For sure. And, and the reason I, I wanted to flag that it's not many dogs that need that is because I get a lot of questions from people where they say, hey, the e-collar doesn't work for my dog. And, or like we need to re- like it just doesn't get his attention. And I worry that usually that's an issue with fit where the e-collars, they catch a dog or just horrible training. And it's hard to say without seeing it, but the answer is not just turn it up. If it's not going well, the answer is not crank the dial until it works. There's a decent issue. There's a chance the fit's not good. And then it's sporadic and your dog's going to feel nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden it's going to shift a little bit. It's going to make good contact. And then you're going to scare your dog. So if you're just turning it up randomly, you're asking for trouble and e-collars work extremely well but they have to be used properly and that's the important part of a trainer right is that they'll be able to flag fit before you start pushing buttons Mm -hmm. and and that is almost always the issue right is that it's too loose or it's on hair something along those lines and then just like matt said they're itching the collar it shifts to the proper position and 
you're at a number way higher than the dog needed because it was not feeling it at all. So definitely talk to someone. But I, I also recognize that that's the hard part. You know, that's one of my biggest gripes is simply the fact that because e-collars are shunned and you can't talk to anybody about it, people are out there in secret, right, in their basement is what I like to say. They're in their basements and they're just pushing buttons because they had no one to, to ask questions to. You know, I, I agree with that, but I also kind of see the opposite where there's a lot of dog training like franchises and big groups that are really e-collar heavy. And I honestly, I think some of them... And it, every trainer is different, and you know, in a franchise type company, of course. But I think some of them do more harm than they do good because some of them aren't great at using an e collar, and they're showing people how to use them. And you have a lot of people are telling their friend, like, "Yeah, get an e collar," and I mean, if your dog runs, just like push the button, right, and it'll stop them. <laughs> and so there's information out there, but there's also bad information, and there's good. There's a lot of good trainers out there that really know how to use an e collar. So find someone good for sure. Yeah, well, so, one of the big things you hear about is people using uh, using the e-collar with negative reinforcement, and they'll generally use a lower intensity than we would, but they'll do it constantly until they get what they want, and then they'll remove it, and that just generally creates those stressed-out dogs. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess let's spend a minute or two on that, in, and we could spend the rest of this conversation on that, <laughs> but I don't think we should spend a ton of time we use the e-collar, the stim function as positive punishment. It's mm -hmm. meant to correct them for not listening. Some trainers use it, and I'm not knocking it and saying it's terrible because they seem to have good results, but they use it as negative reinforcement. And what that means, like Alex said, is they it's a negative. So they're uh, taking something away. Negative doesn't mean bad. Negative means you take it away to reinforce the behavior. So if you're taking away something to make a behavior more likely to happen, that means you're probably taking away something not good. So what they do is they will turn, basically put the e-collar on in a low level. They'll call the dog as they're using the stim function. And when the dog starts coming, they take away the, the you know, they, they take their finger off the button. They take away that, that stimuli. And now the dog comes to them and sits. So they're, th Nelson, you look like you have a thought on that. Yeah, to be clear and to be fair. It's low level to what those dogs need. You know, again, that is very, very dog dependent. And it's typically to a level that the dog can feel but isn't scared of. You know, because once you scare the dogs, you like learning goes out the window. Mm -hmm. So I agree. It's not necessarily the way that I do things, but I'm I'm certainly I don't think it's evil or, you know, or anything like that either. Agreed for sure. When done right, it's definitely not evil. I think my issue with it is I've seen a lot of dogs become what I call collar-wise because of that. And sure. what happens is they're coming when called. Every time the trainer's calling them, they're feeling that low-level stim. And it doesn't hurt. The low level, they might be at 10 or 15. If you do that on, on yourself, it's like kind of like a little pinch. It's like a TENS unit from a chiropractor. So we're not talking like pain. But they start to get used to that. And what I like is when I use an e-collar, I pair the correction with the word no. And you'll read sometimes online, people will say, never do that. Because then the dog associates the collar with you. That's what I want. When you say no, I want your dog to care. Because I don't, Nelson mentioned this earlier, I don't want the e-collar on my dog all the time. So my dogs never have really, almost never have their e-collars on. And they're in public. 
off-leash and they come when called really well, they associate, you know, no from me means something to them. And so that's how you get a dog who's not collar wise. Cause I see a lot of people, I actually hate when I walk into a client's house that I've never met and they already have an e-collar because that dog is either going to be scared of the e-collar or it's going to be collar wise. Cause they pick it up and they threaten the dog with it. And they're like, do you want this? And the dog's like, no, I don't want that. My dogs wag their tail when they see the e-collar. They're so excited because it means we're going somewhere really cool. Mm-hmm. Like we're going swimming in a lake or we're like off leash, like in the woods somewhere. Because, you know, then I need to be able to page them because I might not be able to see them. So I want the e-collar to be a good thing. And I like pairing it with a no. And I want when you say no for your dog to care. That is important. Yeah, for sure. And I I can't stress the fact that that is the goal. The goal is that they associate this collar or this correction with me. Because, Mm -hmm. and that's the goal of all of it. That uh, tug on the collar, the squirt bottle, you know, all of that stuff. The goal of it all is this no is coming from me because of something that you've done. And that way they don't become collar wise or anything, which can happen with prong collars, right? Oh, they'll behave with the prong collar. They won't behave when it's off. And all that tells me is that you haven't practiced enough with a flat buckle collar, right? Again, they don't, they don't associate the no with you. They associate the no with the prong collar. And that's the only reason to listen (laughs) when they have the prong collar on. hundred percent agreed. And just to throw this out there, I will never use an e-collar with a client without them putting the collar on themselves first, because I want you to know what it feels like. And uh, it's important for you listening, if you've never used one, you know, check one out, put it on in a 10 or a 15, the levels we're talking about, you know, that you're using for acclimating to it, you know, maybe a 20. It's not intense. Hold on. So <laughs> if you have access to an e-collars technology, uh, you <laughs> okay. know, a, a dog yes. truck, do 10 or 20. Yes. If you have access to a $30 e-collar, do not put it up to 10. Start at one or two and build your way up. But but also, that is exactly one of the reasons why I love Doctras and not the cheap $30 ones, right? Is just way more control of what my dog is actually feeling. 100%. And the ones, Nelson made a great point, but you're talking about the ones that go, some only go from level one to 10. So 10 exactly. is, is the max. On a dog tread, 10 is next to nothing. But important that you try it because first off, you don't, I don't, I'm not going to let someone turn it up to a 30 unless they know what a 30 feels like. They should know what it feels like. But also some people are really hesitant and they feel a 15 and they're like, it barely feels like a tickle. I'm like, yes, it's not meant like you're not, it's not meant to be incredibly painful. So what do you think we, should we get into questions, Alex? Um, You said you have questions from that you'd pulled from from videos online, right? We do. Yeah. We got some questions here. Uh, so this is from our, uh, our come command video that's been doing real well, has a few hundred thousand views in the last month or two. Um, I'm going to take umbrage there. Um, oh yeah. It's yeah. Maybe three, 400,000 views somewhere in that area, which for us is a big deal. Maybe for the biggest dog trainer in the world, it wouldn't I be, said but a few hundred I think thousand that's, I think we're we're approaching four hundred, which is a pretty cool number. Do I need to? For, okay, you know. hold on. Matt would like the hope official right. number. <laughs> Let me refresh the page. So, too. while Alex is looking up the number, this video's done you know really well. It's got it sparked great conversations online, which is cool. We've got you know of course tons of comments of people saying it's helped us so much. Thank you. We've gotten some really good questions. We've also gotten some pushback. So we're gonna flag you know a little bit of all of that. I, I think it'll be 
it should be fun. Three hundred. I just have to throw this out there. Uh, it, Go ahead, the Alex. Official I'm sorry. number as of Friday, January twenty sixth, ten forty five a.m. Is three hundred and forty one thousand two hundred ninety seven views. Uh, I, I feel like I'm the only child that did not know Umbridge was a, a real word and wasn't just a character in Harry Potter. But he said oh. it on the last episode, and I was like, did you "Is it? that a real?" No, no. I'm I'm just trusting the fact that you know what you're talking about. Which... Alex, before we get to the first question, can you Google Umbridge? Absolutely. Because Matt has not always been the perfect source of words. Umbridge. Umbridge. Dolores Umbridge is the first. Dolores, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you need to spell it different. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'll just do definition. Okay, Umbridge. U-M-B-R-A-G-E. To oh, take yeah. offense or annoyance at remarks. I have Ooh, a f- now. There's an ar- there's an archaic English version which means shadow, especially the shadow cast by trees. But we're we're ta- we're talking about taking umbrage here, offense or annoyance. I have a feeling of pique or resentment at some often fancied slight or insult. Yeah, it's I mean it's a very it's only dandies say the word umbrage. Like I take umbrage at that. It's, generally speaking, you wear a top hat when you say umbrage. It, it's important. Or you have a cane that you don't really or need. Or a monocle. Yes, one of those three. Yes. All and right, well, let's a, get into... a bubble pipe. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Alex, give us our first question or critique or whatever. What do we okay. got? Okay. Um, we got Trina Baker uh, commented that I yell at my dog that I am the alpha, and then I run in the opposite direction. And he just can't let me be the alpha. So he runs as fast as he can to get in front of me. Works every time. And it's really funny to me that he has to be the leader every time. So. Okay, who's doing this? Nelson, you or me? No, you go ahead. So I sometimes it's hard to say. I don't know if this is meant to be tongue-in-cheek or, or not. Tongue-in-cheek or not. But a lot of trainers tell people, run the other way from your dog. And they'll come towards you. And that can work, but we're relying. Uh, now, saying that you're alpha, obviously the dog doesn't know that. And he's not running to be in front of you because he wants to be alpha. <laughs> he's running in front of you because he's excited and he wants to see where you're going. This can work, but this is a the running and to get your dog to come to you is a very purely positive technique that they'll, some people will try to use instead of any sort of correction. And if it worked and fixed your dog, that'd be cool. But generally, people that do that end up calling us because they can't have their dog off leash because... If the other thing is more exciting than you, your dog is not going to come and run your way. If he's chasing a squirrel and you say, I'm going over here, and you run, your dog is probably not going to turn around to come to you. He's going to keep chasing that squirrel, and then your dog's going to get lost. So uh, I would not call this a valid training scenario. If it this works is in definitely. a moment, it's, I tell people, if your dog gets loose, try whatever. If they're not trained, do whatever. If you want to scream and run, sure. If you want to throw throw yourself on the ground and cry like a baby and stomp your feet and maybe that gets your dog's attention, yeah, do it. Go get in your car and say you want to go for a ride. Whatever, when we're talking about safety, but that's not training. Let's fix the issue. And that's exactly what I was going to say, is that this is definitely not training, right? This is not how you were going to fix anything. This is a Hail Mary that mm-hmm. has a very good place in this world right again if my dog ran out before i'd worked on come 
then yeah, I'm willing to yell out, I'm the alpha, and run the other way. That seems like a small price to pay for a safe dog, right? Mm-hmm. But nobody relies on Hail Marys. This, is, this isn't training. This is management, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Jesus is the open door ask, what do you do with a dog that waits for you to say come three or four times before they start to obey? Love this one. You, you want to take this one, Nelson? Sure. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take this one. You know, this is actually a really, really good question because this stumps a lot of people. Um, dogs are... Covey, you had said that dogs are paying attention and they're building associations to things that you do that you might not even recognize that you're doing. You know, so like the mm-hmm. leash leading towards you might be one. That's exactly what this is. And what they've picked up on is you don't actually mean it until we get three or four in. And maybe that's when you'll come, you know, you'll come for me. And so to fix it is actually super easy. For us, you get the command, right? You know, Ralph, come. And then anything after that is a no. And so what they're learning is, hey, (laughs) I have one shot to listen or else it's a correction, right? And again, correction being whatever's significant to the dog. Um, But there is no third or fourth try or fifth try or kind of, you know, like anything like that. And so all that's happening here is simply the fact that you're hesitating to correct the dog a little too late. I would just tell a client, well, let's not let that happen. Let's, <laughs> let's not get to three. <laughs> right. It's just, we're not going to do that. A hundred percent agreed. What else, Alex? Alrighty. Uh, let's see. I'm not going to try to pronounce that name. Uh, <laughs> my dog knows the difference between being on a long line and being off leash. Great behavior while attached, but turns into a hunter when released. How can I teach her to stay closer? This is a great question. All right, I could take this one. So the, without seeing the dog, there's a couple things that could be going on. One thing is a lot of people use the long line improperly. They have it in their hands all the time. They reel the dog in. They're always holding it. And it just looks like a big leash to the dog. So I always tell clients the long line is the illusion of freedom. The long line should be dragging, dogs running. If you use it, you step on it when needed, and then you let them go again. The dog should feel free. If you're always holding it and always reeling them in, it's not the illusion of freedom. It's just a leash. And now you take the leash off and the dog is not listening again. So there's a chance it's just that. There's also a chance a dog can be smart enough to know the long line is on, even if you are going for the illusion of freedom. And if you have a dog that is willing to run from you outside and the long line, you know, you want them without the long line and you feel like you need more, that's where an e-collar would come in. And we've got videos on this. Don't just put an e-collar on and try it, you know, it, it, that's not how it works. You need to acclimate them and use it properly. But if your dog will run from you outside, when you take the long line off, I would absolutely look into e-collar training without a doubt. That is not where I thought you were going with this whole thing. Oh. First off, I want to say I, Francis Rohan. That's what I'm going with. That's the name. <laughs> but, uh, you know, aside from that, not that I disagree, you know, e-collars are awesome, right? However, there's some steps that you could have done to avoid. So this is just collar wise, you know, it's just long line wise, I guess. And so how you fix that is either one increasing the distraction level or the difficulty level with your long line on. I I love that you said to step on the long line. Don't hold it because I, you know, I preach that to the world. It's more of an insurance plan than it is a seatbelt. But the other thing too, is take the dog back inside 
and ring the doorbell and call them to you. You know, again, take the dog back inside and have your kids run away from the dog and call him back to you. There's just a, a good chance that you haven't proofed enough scenarios off of the off of the leash for him to take you seriously, right? And he only takes the long line serious because you actually have a way of catching him. Okay, I love that point, Nelson. And that brings up something we haven't really talked about is that sometimes people, and we've had some comments in this video where people say, this won't work for my dog, right? Or you meet someone at, at a party and they're like, Psh, try this with my dog. That's not going to work. And a lot of clients or a lot of people want to start near the end rather than at yeah. the beginning. And what I mean by that is, yeah, like they'll say like, oh, that dog in your video, he's really, he, he's very calm and he pays attention to you. Yeah, he didn't come that way, right? We did stuff to get him to pay attention. So we start with heel. So if I go to your house and your dog is, you know, just ill-mannered, is wild and insane, I'm not going to go outside with him on a long line and like somehow fight with him to come. That's not how it works. <laughs> like, we're going to teach him heel. We're going to calm him down. We're going to do some sit stays. And Nelson alluded to this a little bit at the start. There's other stuff we're going to do in the house first. And we're going to get that dog listening to us. If your dog is choking himself while he's walking, he is not ready to work on the come command. I'm going to fix all that stuff first. So when I get to come, I've got a dog who already likes to listen to me and they enjoy training with me. I'm not going to show up on house call one and your dog is bad at everything and be like, all right, let's get a long line on him and try to make him come. That's it, not how it works. So fix other things first. If your dog can't heal properly, in my opinion is commands go in order. Heal, sit, sit, stay, down, down, stay, come. If they cannot do the previous command in that order, you shouldn't be moving on. If they can't heal and sit, you have no business starting down. I mean, like unless there's some, unless they're a greyhound and you're not going to teach them to sit or something. But the average dog, you know, you're going to go in that order. It makes a world of difference. Is that a thing? Yeah, greyhounds don't like to sit. Huh. Yep. Super interesting. Yeah. Alex, and, write that down. That'll be that'll be a breed. <laughs> and so I flag that because if someone were to say, hey, my dog can't sit because he's got hip issues, that's fine, right? We can skip skit, sit. It doesn't matter. But generally speaking, we're going to go in that order. By the time we get to come, we've got a dog who likes training, and it's going to be pretty easy, and it's going to be fun. But if we go out there and fight with him on day one, yeah, that's not going to be fun for anybody. Exactly. Yeah, and, and fighting, right, is really the thing that ruins training it's mm -hmm. not that training was hard it's not that we were highly structured it's not that we were practicing with some really crazy distractions it's fighting you know and so again just like we were talking about earlier it's not about what your goals are it's what's fair to the dog yes and then we get to your goals when it's fair to the dog exactly so it doesn't mean we're not going to do it but it might take you know a week or two of other training first yep all right alex give us some negative stuff give us so we got some pushback on this video. Yeah. Not very little for the record, but go read the so, comments. It's oh, yeah. No, we got them. Uh, so Lou Robin critiqued us, said that treating after giving the second command rewards. Wait, it's discombobulated. They didn't really have the best English. Basically, they were saying that we treated after the dog sat when they came to us. And they were just, they weren't going to learn come that way. They were only going to learn sit that way. So what do we say to that? Nelson, can I take this one and then you take the next yeah, go for negative it. one? Yep. Okay. Uh, so with this, we've, we had a few people saying the same thing. And I think sometimes, once again, trainers make things more complicated for people. And there's a time that it's good that you make it more complicated and a time that it's bad. So 
here someone will say, well, they got a treat or petted after they sat. So that's all they're learning is sit. They're not learning come. And I would say a few things. First, I've trained thousands of dogs this way and they, they learn come. So I can tell you from real life, it, it works. They, they learn come. But also a dog is not, they're not stupid, right? So if they sit and they get a reward, we could, I could explain it to you a few ways. One is if your dog runs all the way to you and he sits when he gets there and you pet him or you give him a treat and he, for him sitting, he had to come to you to do that. So in the video that we're talking about here, the dog ran to me and sat and then got a treat. So I didn't go to him and make him sit. He came to me. So if you say he's just learning sit, yes, he's learning to sit in front of me, which means he's running over to do that, which is come. So he's learning <laughs> what I wanted to learn. But... You know, if we want to like make it a slightly fancier way of wording that, we, we condition marker words. So when I call the dog, and in this video, the dog's name was Wallen. I say, Wallen, come. When he looks at me, I we condition the marker word yes with him. Now, we use yes in that scenario. Sometimes we just use good boy. Other times, when I train a deaf dog, I clap my hands like this. Not a, like, I know if you're listening, you can't see it, but it's like a gentle clap, not anything crazy. And I condition that to be the reward marker. So... I, you know, I say, yes, good boy. And I praise him as he comes in. He's been conditioned that that means he's getting his reward. It could be praise. It could be a pet. It just depends on the dog. So I say, Wallen, come. When he looks at me, yes, I've already, there's already a marker there. He's already getting, he already knows he's going to get rewarded. He comes over and he sits. The reason I don't give him a treat halfway is because I'm not going to run to him and hand him a treat and then back up again and then like, how would I then get him to sit? Then tell him sit and give him another treat or another pet. I want the dog to learn. You need to do all of those things, Wallen. You need to look at me. You need to run to me. You need to sit and you get rewarded at the end. So, and, and we could, you know, make that even more complicated. If we really want to get into, you know, conditioning every single marker. But at the end of the day, dog training is not the most complex thing in the world. I mean, there's parts that people underthink, but there's definitely parts that people overthink. Tell your dog when they're doing well and encourage them to do well, give them a reward they like, which could just be petting and have some sort of correction. If they don't listen and you're probably going to be fine. That's solid advice. That's that right there, right? Is dog training. Praise them when they did good, correct them when they do bad. Mm -hmm. Your dog is going to be awesome. Yeah. You know, I remember there's an old saying, it's something along the, I don't use this much with clients, but it's something along the lines of make it really easy for them to do something good and make it really hard for them to do something bad. So, and that's really what we're doing there. Doing something good is easy. I've taught you. I praise you. Cool things happen. Doing something bad, I don't give you many chances to be really bad. And when you do, I stop you and it's not fun. So at the yeah. end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. Love that. All right. Give us some more, some more pushback, Alex. Uh, so there was another comment, same thing about the sit, reinforcing the sit not to come. Dog figured out the behavior chain. Uh, yes, which, so yeah. I, I agree. I remember that comment. I saw that online. Yeah. The dog did figure out the behavior chain. And I think they were phrasing that as like as a critique. But no, yes, <laughs> that, that's what they did. That's what I want. Yeah. They figured out the behavior that's... chain. It's because that person expanded and said something like that, you know, they they know that sit and come are different things. And you're expecting like, and you've taught them to do it in a chain. Yes, I did. Thank you for noticing that. That's exactly what I did. I taught him to look at me. I taught him to come and I taught him to sit in a chain and he gets a reward at the end. That's what we want. That's it. And that, like, yep. if you just, if you just apply logic to it, like think of all the cool videos you've seen of the amazing things that like uh, service dogs can do, or even like diabetic alert dogs, like 
all trainers have done is broken down that complex thing into a series of little things and chained it together. That's that's what mm-hmm. we do. It's just yep. and and it goes back to the start easy. You know, take that chunk, get that good, take mm-hmm. the next step, and then just add, add, add. Yep. All right. Um, Tracy says that using their name is fine, but once they learn not to come to their name, you've poisoned that cue. It's all over. It's all I over. It's all over. Sorry. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to clarify uh, for her, because I don't really know what she's trying to say here in the fact that are we using the name as the command that's the cue that we're poisoning or are we poisoning come as the cue me either way she's half right half wrong uh but if i mean we use the name a lot in training so even if they learned not to come to their name we didn't necessarily poison that cue because you know realistically when i say a dog's name it's just to give me their attention you know and we've we've proof that through sits and downs and stays you know like everything so and sometimes we even just work on that all by itself like especially for puppies so that doesn't make a ton of sense i'm assuming what she's saying is come is going to be poisoned right we diluted the the command itself or the cue as she likes to say but that's only if you're expecting to praise good behavior and then freeze in place when it doesn't happen, right? And, and that's the point of corrections. So she's absolutely correct. If you do not correct her, or to correct her, if you don't correct the dog, then yeah, absolutely. They're going to learn that you don't mean what you say. I don't have to listen to you. But if you just take that a little bit further and it like, I'm assuming she probably watched the the video, got to a certain point, commented, and then maybe jumped on, maybe didn't. But once you're done teaching them what the cue is, after that, it's reinforcement, right? I have to make sure that the dog knows it's better to come to me than it is to not. It's There's consequences for being, you know, like too distracted. There's consequences for just not paying attention, you know, all of that stuff. So corrections are exactly why this wouldn't happen, right? This happens when you might be doing pure positive training or, you know, something along those lines. Or you're just lacking follow through. If you don't, if you don't follow through, if you're wishy-washy on your corrections, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, absolutely. you know, we don't really know if this, this comment could be a critique or it could be a green, right? There's not enough detail mm. there. Uh, because if you watch the whole video, we're certainly not poisoning the cue because we never call the dog and a- allow them to not come. And we talk about how you can never, ever do that. So in theory, she could be agreeing with us. I don't know. But I think it's a good thing. I like this comment because it sparks this conversation. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, what I started thinking about is how often I hear people say, there were some comments in this video where people said, don't call the dog more than three times in a day because then it's not going to mean anything anymore. And I, I don't understand that at all. But I've also heard people say things like, other trainers don't tell your dog no too much because then it's going to have no meaning. And what I say is that is only going to happen if you don't give the word no meaning. You are going to give it meaning. If you say no, no, Ralph, and you walk out of the room, then yeah, no is going to be meaningless. It's going to mean nothing. But if you attach meaning, if your dog is chewing the sofa and you say no and you go over and stop him, that had meaning. 
And then an hour later, if he does something naughty and you tell him no and you go over and stop him, it has meaning. So there's no, there's no limit on the number of times you could say no in a day or the number of times you could call them. It, it does, that doesn't make any sense to me. Now, you should praise good behavior. You should give them good things to do. You're, if, you're, if you're only telling your dog no, that's a big problem. You know, that's not the way you live with the dog or train it, but there's no magic number of the times you can or can't say it each day. It's do you enforce it? So uh, like Nelson just said, calling the dog, if they pay attention, that's not poisoning the cue. You could call your dog a thousand times in a day. You just have to back it up each time with what you expect. So I'm going to tangent a little bit. Yes, tangent. Sorry. But uh, so the thing that I I would gleam off of this comment, actually, which is probably going to be a great point, is... Probably, like I know it's not. <laughs> uh, the point being that if you don't mean it, don't say it. Because that yep. is way more likely to poison your cue than anything else, right? I mean, follow through is follow through. And so if you just want your dog to follow you from the living room to the bedroom, yeah, don't don't call the dog unless you expect him to actually come up to you and sit down. Uh, that's a, a big one from the backyard. When people try to call their dogs from the backyard... You know, oftentimes you're better off just teaching a different cue than you are trying to say come and not being able to reinforce it. But one of the things that I'll tell people all the time is you know, if your dog is in the backyard, you call them to you and they don't come after, you know, like they don't come up to you and sit down. You definitely have to go get the dog. And so if you're not willing to do that, don't say it. <laughs> like don't call your dog unless you're willing to actually get up go over there and correct your dog for it because that's poisoning the cue. That's how they learn. I don't have to listen to you whenever you have uh, a drink in your hand or you're on the phone or, you know, whatever the case may be. The kids are home. I don't have to listen to you anymore. That kind of stuff. So agreed. Be very, very conscientious of uh, what words you are using and how you use them. And it just, teach a different one you know i say let's go for a lot of that kind of stuff instead of calling my dogs to me a million times i'll just say you know hey ralph let's go come on and then expect that he's going to follow in my general direction when a dog is trained and they pay attention to you they learn many many things that aren't commands right because they learn to please you dogs want to please when they're well trained and they understand how to please. So without a doubt, yeah, with my dogs, it's name and come means run to me and sit when you get there. But if I'm at the park and we're just walking, I'm like, come on, guys, let's go. Come on, guys, is not the same as dash come. Very, mm-hmm. very different. Come on, guys, let's go. And they understand that and they come with. And But there are times where you might say that and then they're like, well, no, I'm smelling this. And you have to then you use the come command. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what it's for. And I have a client right now I'm working with, a young dog, who I, I was worried about how the dog is doing in the yard, and it's been wet and muddy, and they don't want to go in the yard each time with the dog. So right now, we're working and come in the house, and we're using you know the dog's name and come. And in the yard, to get them in from outside, they are shaking the treat jar to get the dog to come in when they don't have the line on. You know, sure. they shake the treat jar, jar, dog comes. Now, that's not good, great training. We all, and they know that, I know that, but that's not going to work forever, but... For the next couple of weeks, while we're teaching the come command, I'd rather you do that than yell come eight times and he ignores you. Exactly. And if you're, and if you're not going to put your boots on and go grab that money long line and work with the dog, I would just let him be and, or shake the treat jar. And that's just, that's, it's, at least it's not taking you backwards in your training. Exactly. That's still a, you know, a win, 
Right, because you're not screwing yourself over. Mm-hmm. Well, should we move on? Alex, do we want to go to our next segment? Yes. We could talk about come until bedtime tonight, probably. Yeah, we but, hours. Uh, All right, for our last segment of the podcast, we have 60-second solutions. I'm going to uh, throw a training situation at Nelson, and then I'm going to throw one at Matt. Uh, and they have a 60-second timer that will show up on the screen right here. Right here. <laughs> and then uh, once the timer's done, they'll be done. And we'll laugh at them or applaud them. So, okay. Nelson, we'll go I first. like it. Uh, Let's do it. You are at a house call, and you have a client who is complaining about their dog constantly barking out the window, but they only are barking when they are not home ready set go oh man you went for a tough one okay so the thing that i would be doing is i would be making sure that the dog knows how to heal because i want to tire that dog out before i leave anywhere just to lessen the chance of the dog actually barking the other thing that i would be doing is trying to find out what it is that that dog will bark at while I am there. And I'll I'll set up a a bunch of crazy stuff, right? Like maybe I'm upstairs and I'm FaceTiming, you know, an iPad downstairs watching the dog and, you know, hopefully they bark at something so that I can start fixing some of that stuff. Then what I'll do is I will pretend to leave, you know, like I'll, I'll even take my car actually out and, you know, go park it somewhere. And then sneak back and just wait to hear the dog barking so that I can run inside and and correct it. And last but not least is put the dog up when I'm gone. Oh, my gosh. Right under the table. Oh, my goodness. You know, I wanted you to succeed, (laughs) but I was hoping you wouldn't be able to finish that last sentence. And, like, so I would. (laughs) What would he do? What is it? Yeah. Nice work, Nelson. Agreed. Very good. Very good, especially with only a. Minute. That was a tough one. I wasn't ready for that one. That was good. Well, I got. I threw. I little... hope. I hope there's comments on here where people are like, you know, spend thirty minutes thinking about it, and they're like, "Why didn't you suggest these nine things?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are stupid. All right. There's like so many more things. It is kind of like when we post a YouTube short, which has to be sixty seconds or less for the record, and someone's like, "Why didn't you talk about this?" Like, because I was talking super fast for that entire 60 <laughs> seconds and I couldn't cram any more stuff in, but I really wanted to. So good point. Because I barely made the timer. Yep. That's why. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get a drink of water here, Alex, while you set up my scenario. Sounded good. Me too. All right. All right. So, Matt, you are in a house call and you have a client whose dog is counter surfing, but the only time they will do it is when they are on the other side of the house. If they're in that room or even the next room, they will not even look at the counter. Ready, set, go. First, I'm going to establish that that's true. So we're going to put some stuff out, and I want to see if he steals it with them in the room because maybe with better stuff he would. Maybe they haven't set it up and spent time there. So I would start there. If I establish he won't steal it with it, you know, with us being in the room, I'm going to get a little baseline of training. I want to make sure he'll heal, proof the word no, make sure he listens to me. 
And then similar to what Nelson said, I'm going to spend a lot of time going out of the room, but having a way I can keep an eye on them. The old school way is I use a mirror and I set it up and I have a reflection where I can be in the living room and I see a reflection off the fireplace wall back to the kitchen or whatever, you know, works in that house. The new way, of course, is cameras and I go in the other room and his paws go on the counter and right away I mark it with a no. I go in there, I follow up with some sort of physical correction, could just be a tug on the leash or collar. I walk out and I do it again. And we set that up harder and harder and harder scenarios until no matter what, you can hang out and watch your dog not steal something when you're in the other room. Ooh. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know if that last sentence was even, if you could even like, understand my words, but I thought it'd be really fun to use every last second. That was, that was I good. was like, I was just impressed that you wrapped up at one second, but you, you used well, every shred. It might've been, it might've been like what three words strung into one. So it might've made no sense. It might've sound like what in the room, but it was, but I, mean, I used it was my all one word, but it was understandable. You, you pulled it off. You were successful. The thing that I loved that he said and fit in there was even establishing the fact that it's true, which I mean, that's a, that's a good one. We were talking about that with, with recall and I, I should have put that in, in mind. Yeah. And to expand briefly on that, just so everyone knows, it's not that someone would lie to us. It's that they just would, you know, haven't set it up in the same way we have. And so I want, I don't want to put the dog in an unfair situation. I don't want to do something too hard and then discipline the dog and find that it wasn't fair to the animal. So this is not about clients misleading us. It's about just, we do this for a living. I want to see it with my own eyes and make sure we're all on the same page before we, you know, make it harder on the dog. Or not, it, yeah, not intentionally sure. misleading us. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just haven't tried it. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Cool. I got a couple more if we want to do two more. Nelson, you up for another? I'm up for another. All right. Okay. So we're on another house call. Nelson, you have an escape artist on your hands. Whenever oh. the clients go to the front door, the dog's out of the room. But somehow, as soon as they don't look, it's out and it's gone. Ready, set, go. Okay. So kind of three-pronged approach, right? One, I am going to work on claiming space at the door. I want the dogs to understand that barriers are uh, true. You know, they they hold respect. What that means is that he can't cross willy-nilly. He has to wait for us to actually be able to say he can go. The other thing that I'm going to do is take the dog in the front yard once I've trained him, you know, well enough. And I'm actually going to do a lot of training in the front yard where he understands that, hey, this is just a, another place that I have to listen, right? I, I didn't make it to the golden land and I get to run amok. You know, this is just an, another place that we train. And then the other thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to practice walking out and forgetting to leave the door open, you know, close the door, or whatever, and have a goalie out front ready to help me catch and correct the dog so that we can, you know, oh, you're extinguish done. the you're behavior. Done. Damn it. <laughs> I was so close. I wonder what he was. We'll never know what he wanted we'll to never extinguish. Know. Was there a fire that we just don't know about? It's too late I now. Keep an extinguisher so, you know, in the car, I guys. love... I love that you flagged that about training in the front yard. People forget, or I don't want to say forget, they don't think about that. And if the front yard means freedom and craziness, then they're going to be out there free and crazy when they get there. You train in the yard, it works so well. Uh, Just so everyone knows, he mentioned claiming space. We've got a video, um, we have a video on that. 
in the counter surfing and going out of the room. We have a video on that. So if you want more details on these topics, we have full videos. Or leave a comment and your question might be one of the ones that we answer. Yeah. Okay. All right. Ready for another, Alex? Ready for the last one. All right. These really weird one-minute-long house calls we've been booking, right? (laughs) (laughs) These are fun, actually. I like these. All right. This one's really simple. Not a lot of not a lot of uh, info for you, Covey. Oh. The dog's breaking the invisible fence. The invisible fence doesn't work. What do we do? Go. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'd have so many questions. We'd spend twenty minutes asking questions. Want to know why he's breaking the invisible fence? Is he going to attack a dog? If so, we need to make him not want to attack dogs. It's not a fence problem. It's a dog aggression problem. Is he chasing squirrels? It's a prey drive problem, not an electronic fence problem. Does he not know how to, does he not know how the fence works? There's a chance of that. But if you had an invisible fence or a real company come out, I'm sure he knows how the fences works. And, you know, they they do good jobs on, you know, actually training the dog to understand the fence. So my thought is figure out what is making him break it and get him calmer around that particular thing. If he's doing it to go after joggers, you need to train him, heel past joggers, work on off-leash, come in the yard, work on downstays, get him trained. And if he was trained in that fence properly in the first place, once you get him under threshold, when he sees that distraction, your issue is going to go away. So lots of training in the yard and you're going to be fine. Fine. (laughs) It's like you wasted a second. (laughs) And said, I just repeated a word for no reason. I felt I did. I'm just going to take his last two seconds so I can finish my, my, (laughs) add that to my clock. (laughs) I I felt bad. I should have, I should have said the fence is working. Defenses confirm not. not oh the, oh man, because I, I was I was literally just about to make that joke and be like, "What an amateur! He didn't even check to make sure the fence was working and see if the collar is charged." <laughs> <laughs> if there's many things. That is, that is the first step. That is. That's what I would have done. Is yeah. check the check the lock. I'm basing my answer on my life experience yeah. with clients, and it's that you go there and they're expecting the invisible fence to work for anything, but they have major problems they have to fix first and they need to fix those issues and once you do those electronic fences work really well if the dog is doesn't have an intense prey drive or is not aggressive or if you fix those problems yeah and that was always my experience too is it's like i mean again assuming the fence is actually working like it's usually not a matter of training the dog better on the fence like those companies usually do a pretty good job it's usually something else that's just they get too excited and they just go through yeah well, that's well, uh, that's all I got for you guys on uh, on the sixty second quiz. Yeah, that one was cool. I liked it. Thank you, Alex. So I think that is probably it for today. I wanted to thank everyone who's listening. We appreciate it. Hopefully, this is helpful to you. If you have questions or if you have topics you'd like to see us cover, let us know. We love training dogs. We love talking about training dogs. So we are more than willing to add some things to the list. Reach out anytime. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Have a good one.